It is the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And I want to look with you at verses 12 through 18 and then verse 26. I am so singularly honored to have all of you here. And I bless the Lord for your presence. Among us today is our dear brother James Powell, whose son, Roger Powell, founded this church 35 years ago, and his son attends here now. And uh, his daughter here, Marilyn, is with us. But the James and uh, his family helped birth this church 35 years ago. He is now in his early 90s, 91. And... Uh, Moving on for the glory of God. I remember when he was, some years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, he had open heart surgery. And he trusted God then. His wife has since gone, gone on to be with the Lord. When we came here, Valerie and I and our girls, Kimberly was six weeks old. And Valerie handed Kimberly to Sister Evelyn Powell, James's, Brother James's wife. And she became the babysitter for the pastor. But men like this... Helps it make it possible for us to go to the next 1500 level. And I give honor to that servant of the Lord and all of you that are here today. Verse number 12 of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, and it reads as follows. Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. Meaning I will not leave you helpless. I will come to you. And then on down verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I, before we pray and before you're seated, this is lesson number six. And perhaps the final lesson of a series of lessons entitled, Living in the In-Between. And today I want to talk to you about power for living in the middle. Bow with me and, and as you bow, stretch one hand in my direction. Let's offer a prayer for each other because God is still so good and I have high expectations for this service. Come on, pray with me and pray that God would ex increase your expectation for what needs to happen in our lives in this house today. God, I thank you for a packed out house. But what I, I want more than anything else is I want you to fill us full with the Holy Spirit. Say amen, somebody. God, it's wonderful to see one another and make new acquaintances. But we want to leave here knowing Jesus better and loving Him more. We want to leave here better equipped, oh God, 
to conquer our flesh. We want to leave here better equipped to, to conquer temptation and evils and uh, put on the whole armor of God that we may fight against principalities and powers and rulers of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us. At whatever level we come to the Lord's table today, whatever capacity of hunger we have, fill us up with Jesus. And do for us what no human power can. We commit ourselves to your word and I ask for your divine anointing to break the bread. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being seated and for your worship. Keep your Bibles open, please, to this reference of our text. I'm overwhelmed with this subject. And I'm often tempted to share beyond what I have prepared because it's such an interesting and life-changing subject. I hope by now, this is the sixth Sunday on the thought of living in the middle, that I have made a case for the premise that all of us are living in the in-between of something. Throughout my ministerial and pastoral experiences, I repeatedly meet people who are living in the middle. Such things as the death of a loved one, divorce, the loss of a job, sickness, financial setbacks, disobedience. Addictions, wrong choices, and the wrong crowd. Such things as fear, doubt, abuse, and the list can go on. These things, ladies and gentlemen, these things directly or indirectly position us to be people who are in the li- living in the middle of something. You either coming out of something, waiting on something, or going into something. And it's not all bad, but we need power for in the middle. I told you last Sunday that Jesus was and is our man in the middle. I mean man with a capital M. Not only was Jesus the man on the middle cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago, but he was the man in the middle in that Jesus offered himself the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins. That makes me glad. You see, and just to highlight, you understand, and then maybe just to remind you, that when God created Adam and Eve, they were sinless and flawless. He put them in the pristine, utopia-like garden called Eden. And they didn't even have to even tend to weeds and briars. They didn't have to worry about army worms. I told you a few weeks ago, 
I thought one of the ten plagues had come to our house. Army worms. I never saw their tanks, their generals, or the lieutenants, but they were there. Adam and Eve, all they had to do was enjoy a daily visit with God. And God said, there's only one restriction, because I give you this free gift of free will. One limitation, Adam and Eve. I forbid you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But now there are many, many other trees, fruit-bearing trees, of which you can satisfy your appetite. Have your fill. But they sinned and disobeyed God. They offended God. And the penalty for their offense was death. And so God chased them out of the garden. And there was a curse placed on them and all of nature. Their sin we have inherited. We are the seed of Adam and Eve. Even though we are many years removed, we are the seed of Adam and Eve, the original mom and dad. And God was still offended. But he didn't want to kill them. And so he allowed time to go on and still the penalty for sin was death and the penalty had not been paid. And Jesus became 2,000 years ago God in the flesh. And Jesus became the man in the middle. The man who would, who would bring together an offending humanity, which includes us, and an offended God. And he comes right in the middle 2,000 years ago and allows himself to be nailed to a cross. And there he took the hands of an offended man, an offended God, and together as the sun refused to shine for three hours, and the earth beneath the cross shook, and an earthquake took place, and the veil of the temple in Jerusalem was torn from the top to the bottom, not by man's power, but by the power of God, indicating our redemption there, Jesus brought us together. And Jesus not only became our defense attorney, He took our guilt and our shame and died in our place. And now we are on our way to heaven. Clap your hands and give the Lord thanks. Forty days after His burial, He summoned them for a final address. And in his farewell address, he informed them that now he would be the man in the middle in a different kind of way. And I'm looking for my little pointer, brother. And I can't find it. Isn't that wonderful? Here it is, brother. Don't sweat. It's just in the middle of all my junk I have hidden up here. He tells his disciples... After walking with them for three and a half years, I'm going away. And that greatly troubles them. But he says, I'm going to be the man in the middle in another way. Because here's what I'm going to be doing while I'm in the middle and in absence of your company. 
And it says in John 14, 1 and 3, so you have to turn there. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I am going away. But if you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said, if I, if I go and prepare a place for you, 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 if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you shall be also. So I'm changing my man in the middle from down here to up here. And I'm going to prepare a place for you called heaven. But while I'm in heaven, I'm still the man in the middle because while he's in heaven and even right now, Jesus is our intercessor, the man in the middle. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus is our high priest, the man in the middle. Jesus is our mediator. When the devil says they don't deserve it, Jesus says, help them just because of me. They may not. Des- he's our mediator. He's our defense attorney. And I want to tell you something else he's about. He is our soon coming king. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And the disciples are thinking. You're going, and we're left behind. How are we going to live in your absence, Jesus? Because they realized how helpless they were while Jesus was here. You remember several occasions. One occasion, they were on the the Sea of Galilee, crossing over, and a storm blew up, as the Sea of Galilee is known to have the occurrences of storms without announcing. And, And the Bible says they were fearing for their life, these disciples, and in that same boat that was driven by the sails, the, the Bible says Jesus was so tired from the day's ministry that he had pillowed his head in a part of that boat, and the winds began to rip the sail, the waves began to get tumultuous, and the water began to come in the boat, and they were using every available bucket and clay jar to bail the water out, and it got worse. The lightning was flashing, the thunder was roaring, and all that they were men who were acquainted with the lake, and they knew how to sail in storms. This, it looked like, was going to take their life. Jesus stood up and he spoke a few words and immediately the waves calmed down, the wind ceased and they crossed over to the other side. They got that in their mind thinking, what are we going to do, Jesus leaving? They, They got in their mind the fact that on one occasion they were in a desert place and a multitude of people had followed Jesus all day long because he was to them wisdom and counsel and comfort and healing. Can I get an amen? By the end of the day, so many people had followed them. They were in a desert place and the people had become hungry. And Jesus said to them, feed the people. And they said, Lord, we don't have uh, bread to feed the people. And if we had money, we could take a collection. We don't have enough uh, money, nor would we have a bakery big enough to feed these people. Because the Bible says there were at least 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Jesus said, what do you have? And they said, well, we, all we could find is a guy, a little boy who's got a sack lunch. He's got five pieces of bread. And two fish. Bring it here, Jesus said. He prays over it and he hands it to distribute to the people. And the Bible says he feeds everybody in the crowd. 5,000, not not counting all the others on the outskirt. And the Bible says there were 12 baskets left over because not only does Jesus meet your needs, he'll give you some surplus to live on and bless you further. Amen. But he is leaving now. And you're thinking, what are we going to do for bread in the future? He's leaving. Remember, as you read about Jesus and his disciples, you remember that he would raise their dead. Can I get an amen? This same Jesus fixing to leave us now and giving us all that power. He would cast out devils in his name. Can I get an amen? I mean, he would take water and turn it into wine. And these guys are thinking, what are we going to do while we are living in the middle of the time you go away and come back again? And Jesus gives them an answer. It's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible. Chapter 14 and verse number 16. Everybody look there and say amen. Amen. 
Jesus said, here's my answer for what you're going to do while you're living in the middle. And I will pray the Father and he'll give you another helper. Oh, I feel the anointing coming on. And this helper will abide with you for a few days. No, no, that ain't in your mind, my Bible, in yours. Forever. Everybody say forever. Look at verse 17. This helper is going to be the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you shall see him and you will know him because he dwells in you and shall be with you. I will not leave you like orphan children. I will give you a helper. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. I must tell you, the answer for the question is, who is this helper for living in the middle is found in not only these verses, but verse 26. It's our text. Look at it and I'll read it for you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, everybody say the Holy Spirit, Spirit. whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I've said unto you. Now, Now focus here just a moment. Jesus knew that the disciples would face all kinds of adversity for their faith in Him and for the cause of the kingdom once He leaves. Jesus knew that even though His bodily presence would be gone from the earth, that Satan and sin would still be alive and in business. And knowing that, He said there would be another Comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, with him, because he'll be with you, and through him, you will be given the power to do works just like I did, and even greater in number than I did. I'm going somewhere with this. Hmm. That promised power for living in the middle came, just as Jesus said, on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had foretold them. Acts 1 and 8. Look on the screen. And Jesus said, prior to his departure, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. As a result of that power, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It was a promise to them for living in the middle. And then not only did he promise it, but it came to pass, per the records of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And while this may be familiar to some of you, let me rehearse your memory. Or instruct for the first time those who might not know. Acts 2, 1 through 4 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Let let, let me pause. Forty days after Jesus was resurrected, he ascended. Ten days after those forty days, now, now 50 days since the resurrection, there are 120 men and women who are waiting for this promise of the power to live in the in-between. They waited ten days. Jesus said, don't you even leave Jerusalem. Don't you go any place doing anything in my name and with my authority until you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to tell you that there's an experience beyond salvation known as the baptism 
of the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, you have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Nobody can get saved unless the Holy Spirit convicts them and says, You know what? That preacher is right. Your grandmother is right. That person testifying about you need to be saved. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. The only way to eternal life with God is confessing and repenting. The Holy Ghost then comes in and says, move, go, now. And when you get saved, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, there is an experience beyond the indwelling known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Had that not been the case, why would he tell people already saved already been his disciples, already doing miracles in his name, to wait until I send you the promise of the Father, which is the Helper, the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen here? I'm trying to make a case for the fact that many people argue that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not for now. Many people will tell you and try to tell you that it was only for the day of Pentecost. It was only a tool of evangelism. And it was only for that time. And now it has ceased. No, it has not ceased. I will show you again. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all at one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 120 of them now. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let, Let me say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. This experience is known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. After these 120 believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, their lives went from blandness. I've seen some bland Christians. No, I don't think I'm seeing none now, but blandness to boldness. That was just a, her form of a whoop glory. That was what that was. After these 120 were filled with the Spirit. They, the natural, could now do the supernatural in the name of God. The ordinary then became the extra, you didn't hear me, extraordinary. They were given the power of the Holy Ghost to live in the middle of Christ's departure until he comes again. Now, now I need to tell you this. Don't be mistaken. The middle would be uncomfortable, inconvenient, and sometimes undesirable. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Ghost and everything's going to come up roses. Roses have thorns. I rediscovered that yesterday. My wife had this inspiration to go prune all the roses. She's got about 25 bushes. And I, I came away to the service here for the life and memory of Miss Ringer. Come home and Valerie's all. Man, she got bushes cut down all over the place. 
And I'm in a haste to get back to this word that I'm supposed to get you ready today about. I'm in a haste to, to, to get the Holy Ghost and get the scriptures and get ready to preach to you folks. And, and we had a little bit of something to eat. And she said, well, i got to go back out and get all that stuff up and get rid of it. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. I'm home now. And I can just look over the window and there she'd be picking up prune rose bushes, long stems and stuff, stuff. And... The Holy Ghost said to me, it'd be a good thing for your marriage, boy. And I said to the Holy Ghost, but I'm God's man of faith and power. He says, shut up. I got me some gloves and some tennis shoes. And got me some points. Did I? Yeah, you, you think this bald head and show up and all that, you think... I don't have no sign written on my head called stupid, no. I was born at night, but it wasn't no last night. I, I, I've lived around a little bit, you know. And so a word to the wise, you gentlemen. The only way for you to avoid having to do that is for you to do it yourself or pray that you don't have bushes. Why that got off in me like that? Uh, living in the in-between is going to be inconvenient sometimes. Do you, do you know this P. Douglas Small, Doug Small, he preached here before several times, wrote this powerful book, Intercession, The Uncomfortable Strategic Middle. This man is a prayer warrior par excellence, and he's not doing it for credit. But, but he wrote a little something here that I have to quote because in all my effort, I cannot come up with, with this. It has to be the Holy Spirit. This is what he says about the disciples who are living in in-between. What would happen to them? It would be uncomfortable. Inconvenient and undesirable. Some of these disciples would see the death of James and the martyrdom of Stephen. They would see the multiple imprisonments of other disciples and apostles. You read, you read your Bible. You understand some of these disciples of Jesus were crucified upside down. One boil in oil. Several beheaded. You've got to have Holy Ghost power. To believe and trust and go, go to that point. Okay? Douglas Small says about these disciples, they would experience persecution. They would be dragged into court, illegally charged, and treated shamefully. They would be beaten and put in stocks, meaning chains. But in the end, the lamb would defeat the lion, the roaring lion. These same people would turn the world upside down. Can, can I get a witness here? City after city would come under the influence of this ragtag band of common yet extraordinary men filled with the Holy Ghost. These mortal men would perform miracles. Simple men would preach profound truth. Now, I'm doing a little teaching here. And I need to tell you, just as these men we read about needed power for living in the middle, so do we. Just as these people lived in adverse times, so do we. Just like they were tested and tempted and tried, you are going to be living for the Lord, tested and tried and tempted. But just as they overcame by the Power of the Holy Spirit, 
you and I are going to overcome if we allow the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our helper and our teacher and our power. Can I get a witness here? Now, let me show you why this is not just about... 2,000 years ago. Let me build a case to tell you that didn't just exist for Pentecost. Because right after the Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says Peter stood up in boldness and began to preach. Because these 120 people were speaking in languages that were not their native language. They were speaking in all kinds of languages that was confirmed by people who were in Jerusalem at that time for the Feast of Pentecost. And they were, the people began to gather there at the upper room in Jerusalem. Large crowds began to come in the building and surround the building. And they said, hey, what about these people? I mean, what is this going on? I hear them speaking in my language, my tongue. And some of them never even taken my language or been to my part of the world. And others who didn't know said, well, they're probably just drunk. It's not o'clock in the morning, but they've been tipping the bottle just really early now. And so there would begin to be all kinds of uh, uh, scenarios of potential interpretation for what this is. Oh, but Peter stood up and said, this is what was promised to us by God in the book of Joel and what was promised to us by Jesus in the New Testament. And Peter says to them, preaching in Acts 2 and 39, for the promise, the promise of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is to you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Can somebody say amen? I'm telling you the power of the Holy Spirit is for 2010 August 27th August 29th right now today. If we will receive it, He'll give it. Let me tell you why it's for today. Because Jesus repeated the words of Joel about the Holy Spirit and Peter repeated the words of Joel. That's recorded in Acts chapter 2 verse 17. Look on the screen. I'll read it. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. How many know these are the last days? (laughs) If you don't know it, you need to read the Bible. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Say all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm telling you, you need this kind of power for living now. These are the last days. You need it. Your sons, your daughters need it. And God, when you get to be 65 or 70, you retire from your secular job. Doesn't mean you retire from your walk with God. Even as an older man or older woman, God will give you dreams and visions and signs about His power in our lives. And then let me show you verse 18. The Bible says, And on my manservant and on my maidservant I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Oh, help me, Jesus. I like what John the Baptist said about what Jesus would do with the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Matthew 3 and 11, John the Baptist said about his cousin Jesus. John, speaking of himself, says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he was coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You know, we prone to, if we can't figure it out, explain it, understand it, we prone to throw it out. You know, one plane crashes and some folks figure, all of them are going to crash. I just don't think I'll fly. I want to tell you the fastest way to get from one point to the next is get on board a plane. And I used to be the world's greatest chicken about flying. One surgery goes bad or two or three. And, and there are people, men are not perfect in flying planes or doing surgery. But surgeries are still very helpful to cure some stuff. Can I get an amen here? 
There's a car accident on the highway and it takes a life. And I regret that. We pray over that. But I'd rather ride in a car and walk on my two feet. There have been people down through the years who have abused the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There have been people over the years who do not understand the gift of speaking in tongues. And they've cursed it and sworn against it. And they've heard other preachers curse it and swear against it and say it's demonic. Without them even asking God, if this is real, fill me and give me the language. Can, can anybody hear me this morning? You know? So there are people who just targeted the tongues and said they're just a bunch of gibberish talking, blabbering people. Let me tell you something. If you ain't never tasted manna pudding, don't come here telling me how good or how bad it is, okay? <laughs> okay? If you ain't ever walked a mile in somebody else's moccasin, don't come here giving their testimony because you ain't done it, okay? The Bible says about God and His power and His anointing and His gifts. I'll fix it, get loud. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't come cursing my Holy Ghost and cursing my gift and cursing tongues and cursing the baptism in the Holy Ghost if you haven't searched the Word and asked God to confirm it in your life. But some folks just, you know, they've seen people handle snakes in some of these churches up in the hills of Tennessee and North Georgia and Kentucky and Alabama, yeah. All them people over there, South Metro Ministry, they handle snakes and they throw pixie dust on you and you fall out. No, the only thing you got to worry about coming here is a spirit of slap on the pastor. That's the only thing you got to worry about. But God cleansed me of that. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you something. Don't come testing me, okay? Don't test God. Don't test me. You, you, you bring a snake in here. You better be sure you bring you an antidote in some kind of syringe. Or you bring a hoe or a shotgun. You bring a snake in here. And I'm taking you and the snake outside that door. And turning, turning you loose on each other. Now I do believe that if you accidentally touch a snake. Or accidentally drink poison. Or somebody try to poison you in the name of God without you knowing. Just like it happened to Paul on the island of Malta, God's going to take the poison out of the snake, all the poison. Because if you're, if you're doing it innocently in the name of the Lord, somebody's trying to kill you, God will protect you. But if you go aggravating the devil, he will show up. Oh, i got to hurry here. As a little stupid boy in Trinidad, we didn't have a lot of pastime that kids have now. You know, they got all the games, they got all the battery stuff, and they got all the motorized stuff. And so for pastime, I used to go around trying to poke down wasp nests. Yes. I did say I was a stupid boy. Yes. And heretofore, you have the results of a boy who spent his boyhoods poking down because some, some of them boogers would take off after me. You know, and I found out, you know, probably not a good thing to do. Go taking long poles and, because if you mess with wasps, they're coming after you. If you mess with the devil, he's coming after you. I, the Lord is helped. Now let me, let, me, let me hurry here because I want you to receive this gift before you leave this morning. Pastor, why do I need this? Because you need power for prayer. It, look in your Bibles, please. Didn't Jesus say to us in this same text I'm reading to you, verse number 13. If you're there, somebody say amen. Chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus said, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Somebody say amen. amen. And the Lord says, I will help you in your prayer life if you are willing to receive the helper, which is the Holy Ghost. I have prayed prayers and prayed prayers and prayed the same prayers. I prayed them backwards and frontwards, upwards and downside. I have said them in my English language. I've tried to bargain with God. I've tried to do, I've done it all kinds of ways in my flesh. And the Lord says, you don't have to do that. But every once in a while, the Holy Spirit, because of the gift, will begin to pray in me and through me. Can I get an amen? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will do this way. Look at what the Bible says, Romans 8, 26 to 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought. You know, sometimes I'm praying one thing and the Holy Spirit says, that's the wrong thing to pray. How many know when the Bible says, forgive your enemies and pray for your enemies? That's what it means. And when it says, pray for your enemies, you know it doesn't mean the prayer that says, God, kill my enemies. Huh? Don't forget, you may be somebody else's enemy and there may be prayer. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit will show us how we ought to pray. But, but look, look about praying in the Spirit. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Can I get another amen? I, I am telling you that oftentimes I pray carnally, I pray in the flesh. And oftentimes when I'm praying out loud and the devil can hear it, he distracts me. Can I get another amen here? But when I allow the Holy Spirit to pray through me, when I begin, sometimes it begins with a groaning and a moaning of my spirit. And sometimes my body shakes a little bit. Sometimes i got to get up and walk around and I say, mmm, mmm, mmm. All the time I'm thinking something in my head. All the time I'm thinking something. And the Holy Ghost comes in and He begins to pray in me. And the Bible says something else happens. Look at verse 27. It says, Now he who searches the heart and knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And sometimes in my private prayer, the gift of tongues will come up and I'll begin to pray in tongues. I haven't lost my mind. I can cut it off if I want to. I can keep it up. And so I keep it up sometimes because I begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and I get edified and hot tears begin to run down my face. My hand begins to go up. My, my sorrow changes into joy. My stillness changes into movement. The fire of God begins to come up in my spirit and somehow I know everything is going to be alright. Give the Lord a hand clap here. Nobody would argue this morning that prayer is a great weapon in our ability to overcome the enemy. While living in the middle. While we're living in the middle between our deliverance and our joy. While we're living in the middle between the coming of the Lord and, and we're going to be with Him. While we're living in the middle of a divorce or whatever is going on. I'm saying to you that nobody will argue that prayer is not a wonderful weapon. But let me tell you something else about the weapon of prayer. You add praying in the Holy Spirit to it. You begin to say, God, I, I, I can't say it anymore in English, but I feel an utterance. And so I'm just going to groan a little bit, moan a little bit. Sometimes I'll just sing to God. That's, the Bible says sing psalms and spiritual songs. Oh yeah, I'm not singing to make a recording to be on American Idol. I, you are not my audience. The Holy Ghost is my audience. Can somebody say amen? The Bible intends for you to use prayer whether you sing it or whether you read it from the Bible. The Holy Ghost 
Sometimes when I'm praying and I don't know what else to say, the Holy Ghost will drop my attention to a place in the Bible. He'll say, go to Psalm 103. And he'll say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. Every once in a while, he'll say, go to Psalm 91. That says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Sometimes he'll say, go to 1 John 4 and 4. For it says there, greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Sometimes He'll take me to another place where it says, there be more for you than there are against you. I can pray in the language I know, but I can pray in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what about the, the, the language of prayer in the Spirit? The devil can't decode it. He can't read it. You know, I heard on the news this week, federal government spends millions of dollars. Millions of dollars every week and every day trying to prevent computer hackers from coming into the sources and the knowledge of the files of the CIA and of the Pentagon, of the White House. Do you know why you're not sitting here, some joker somewhere is on a computer somewhere trying to hack into a bank and our account number? Staying up all night trying to decode. Our identities are stolen many times because somebody can break the code and decipher it. Computer hackers. When I pray in the Holy Ghost, I feel a whoop glory coming on this bald head. When I begin to pray in, in, my, in my regular tongue, and there's nothing wrong with that, Satan understands. And he, he, he'll sometimes will dispatch demons to distract me or hinder my prayers like he did Daniel's. But then the Holy Spirit comes in and says, okay, I'll take over. And I begin to pray of the Holy Ghost and pray in the Spirit, groanings and moanings and sometimes a language of prayer. And Satan puts out his, his demonic hackers to try to decipher my prayers. And they got their headphone and they got their monitor and they got their demonic look at the computer boys of hell. And they're thinking, Mr. Devil, I can't understand Pastor Alan Matura. Keep hacking, boys. I'm praying big. And, and they're going through trying to, uh, trying to break the firewall of the Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah. 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 When you pray in the Holy Ghost, the devil's computer hackers can't decipher the code of the Holy Ghost. And your prayers leave the atmosphere. Get in the throne room of God. And Jesus talks to the Father. And the answer is on the way. Mm, I told the Lord I'd quit early so you could pray. The greatest revival in America took place in 1906, which was the birth of Pentecostalism, rebirth, rebirth, rebirth in America. Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California, 1906. When a man by the name of William Seymour, an African-American preacher, blind in one eye and illiterate, but he had a hunger for God. He read the Bible. He was tired of dried up preachers and dried up churches and 
churches where they have a pastor who gives you three points and a poem and you go home. And he said, God, if there's anything about this Holy Ghost baptism that's for today, let it come. Brothers and sisters, revival broke out in Azusa Street. You need to read it sometimes. Read the history of Azusa Street. And one account, Dr. Small mentions in this book, because there would be skeptics and people show up who come to doubt and criticize. People come and show up, make fun. One Jewish guy came, and he was a skeptic. He came to the revival. And his goal was to gather first-hand evidence against speaking in tongues so he could go back and use it in his lectures against Christianity. As he was entering the staircase in the mission building where the revival was being held, a young woman stopped and pointed at him. And she spoke in perfect Hebrew, his native language. She called his first name, his last name, and then proceeded to tell him what he was doing in Los Angeles. If that wasn't enough, she gave him a record of his sins. Now see, if God's going to give a record of my sins among you guys, I'd rather that be in another language. <laughs> he and I could understand it. So I can take care of it privately. Are y'all okay out there? So he was still skeptical. He asked the girl, where'd you learn Hebrew? She said, I don't know Hebrew. Never learned a lick of it. It was the Holy Ghost pointing you out and praying. He, according to the account, is documented. He was convicted, fell on his knees, and repented on the spot. Same revival. One historian noted people would come into the meeting at Azusa Street when the Holy Ghost had been poured out in America again. They would hear, people would come from all over the world. They would hear languages, Russian, Armenian, and various languages. And they would hear the gospel being preached. And they would come running to the altar asking, how did you know my native language? And give their heart to God. I'm telling you, if you want to know how to pray in power, be filled with the Spirit. I've got to hurry here. Let, let, let me show you something else. The Bible says that he'll be another helper. And, I, and I'm hurrying. In John 14 and 16, he's called another helper. The comforter. Look at something else. The Bible says in the 26th verse, John 14, 26, that he would be the helper. Everybody say the helper. My, here's another place. The next chapter, the 26th verse, Jesus, red letter edition in your Bible, Jesus talking about the Holy Ghost said he would be the helper. And then in, in chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said he would be the helper. I kind of get the message. He is the what? Oh, have you ever needed help in your life? Come on, raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, we have an altar call and you will get help. The helper. Living in the middle. I've I got to hurry and tell you that we need help forgiving folks. All of us. All of us have some human things in common. We need help forgiving folks. You know what, you know what else I need help with? I need help when I need to ask somebody to forgive me. That's harder for me to ask somebody to forgive me than it is me to offer somebody forgiveness. You can say amen to all me, but it's all of us. And the helper will help us. We need help loving folks. How many of you know some folks are going to make it as hard as they can for you to love them? Huh? We need help in our marriage. Give me a witness. 
We need help raising our kids, the, the helper. We, we, we need help at school and with the boss. And we need help at the end of the month when we got more, we got more month than we got money. Can I get an amen? We need help in the doctor's office. We need help in the ICU ward. We need help at the graveside. We need help when everybody goes home after the funeral and we are home alone. The helper, the helper will kind of come alongside you and say, I'll be your mother. I'll be your father. I'll be your brother. I'll be your husband. I'll be your wife. The helper! We need a helper when we call up tech support that we're paying for monthly and it can't be found. We need a helper when we call 911 and it's busy. The helper. Here's something else. I'm, I'm going to try to. Here's something else the Holy Ghost will do. This will be the last of what I'll tell you about as far as series of thoughts. He will be the spirit of truth. Can I show you what the world has done with the truth of this Bible? And I, and I have a point here now. Paul says in Romans 1 and 25 what the unrighteous of his generation did with the truth. Paul said it this way in Romans 1 25. They have exchanged the truth of God into a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Please listen to me. I'm still teaching. Look here and listen to this. Sin has been redefined so many ways in America... Until many do not feel the need to repent. Change the truth into a lie. I got more. This is what the Holy Ghost showed me. The Holy Ghost showed me this this morning. Instead of we in America conforming our lives to live according to the book of life, we have changed the truth of the book of life so we are not convicted by the truth whereby leading us to repentance. You all not hear me? Jesus speaking about the devil who is our arch enemy and a liar. Jesus said about the devil in the, in the Gospel of John, verse 44. Look on the screen. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you do not want to do. He, he, you, pardon me, you want to do. Speaking about human nature. And he says, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he, the devil, speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There are preachers in America right now this morning, in America, American pulpits, who will not speak the truth about sin. There are those who will not condemn sin or call for repentance from sin. There are preachers in churches in America today who know that there are sins in their congregation, in their staff, in their choir, in their elders, in their flock. Known sins of homosexuality, fornication, adultery, and they are left unaddressed as if God has changed his mind about sin. One preacher has been preaching lately that there is no hell and everybody is going to heaven. The saved and the unsaved alike are going to heaven. A preacher is preaching that in America. There are churches in America right in metropolitan Atlanta. There are denominations who have ordained men and women who are publicly practicing homosexuality and lesbianism and they give them credentials to be pastors and bishops as if God has changed his mind about sin. 
I want truth. Jesus said in John 8 and 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. While I wait for Jesus to come, or while I wait to die, I didn't run so far and so long to mess up now. This week I heard that a third member of the former Bush administration has changed their minds about same-sex marriage. That member being the former campaign manager of George Bush who now changed his mind and come out and say he's gay and for same-sex marriage. What was also appalling was that prior to him, Dick Cheney opened up and said, it's okay for two people of the same sex to have share a life of love together in, in marriage. What absolutely dropped my jaw was the president's own spouse, Mrs. Laura Bush, who prior to now I had high regard for. But publicly on Larry King and other talk shows, The View and otherwise, in her newly uh, published book, she said, I've really deviated from my husband's conviction. Oh, y'all, y'all, you're, not, you're not paying me to make you happy. And you ain't paying me to make you sad, but I hope you're paying me to tell the truth. Because whether you pay me or not, I will stand before him one day. And I'd rather hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joys of the Lord. <laughs> you tell him I said it. Golden Corral and old Charlie's to hold them in you. You'll get there eventually. You see, when I started serving Jesus and reading this Bible, and I don't misunderstand me. I have read it many times. And I'm reading it through again. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking out of the top of my head. I've read this book over 22 times from cover to cover. Okay? So I'm not some Johnny come lately trying to hype up and guess. I have, I, have, I have made myself a student of this book. And one of the things I've made my student of, myself a student of is what the Bible says is sin. Because sin will send you to hell. Now see, I, res- I know Laura Bush has got a voice. Dick Cheney's got a voice. And I know other people got a voice. But I got a voice. And my voice is that I will let all men say what they want to. Let all men be lies if they want to. But God is truth. Did anybody hear me here? You see, if, if, if there is no hell and there is no sin, then Jesus died in vain. God gave His only begotten Son to hang in shame in vain. And that ain't the case. Oh, I will land this plane somewhere. John 10 and 10, the thief comes not to st- to steal and kill and destroy. The thief, the devil. He's got a plan for you. He's come to steal and kill. Jesus said, however, I have come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. I got to hurry. 
in First Peter 5 and 8, it says about the devil and his lie. You be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I'm just trying to tell you. That in this age of easy believism, everybody going to heaven, let's just love everybody. Bring the Muslims in and they're going to the same heaven. Bring the Hindus in and they're going to the same heaven. Bring the Hare Krishnas in and they're going to the same heaven. Bring the soothsayers and the sorcerers in and they're going to the same heaven. Anybody helping me? Bring, bring the child molesters in and the rapists in and they're going to the same heaven. Bring the new age people in. Just because you got a talk show and you got a million audience people or five million doesn't make you right if you go from this book. Did anybody hear me? There ain't another human in this soul. I don't, in this world. There's not another human being in this world. I I don't care if they're president or pauper that's ever died for your sin or my sin. Jesus died in my place. And I'd rather take a chance on Jesus and anybody else I know. Clap your hands, somebody. Truth! Truth! The truth shall set you free. Neil Boards have taken that scripture and said, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you mad. That's true too. I don't mean to be self-promoting. And I don't want to exploit this sermon for my benefit. But Brother Don Harris, one day when they roll me up here, if it's this building, if it's this building, you'll come by to see me. <laughs> you say what you want. I can't help it. You might be surprised, though. I might be hearing you. Uh, you come over here and talk something about me that you didn't keep up. I'm liable to be landed and grab you down here. <laughs> Say whatever you want. Short, dark, handsome, whatever you want. Yes. Loud, reckless, bald, whatever you want. But I hope you can say, he told the truth. Stand with the After you stood, give a Lord a God bless you. Thank you. Give a Lord a praise. Put the last slide. Put everything on the last slide. Look at me, everybody. Mm-hmm. For some of you, for some of you, I have resurrected some stuff. The Holy Ghost has resurrected some stuff in you. I've just been the vehicle. You see, I think some of we longer term Pentecostals have lost some of the power because we saw it the baptism of the Holy Ghost as some sort of a credential to acquire on our way to glory well I got saved I was sanctified I got the baptism joined the church and baptized in water and I got the credentials no all that is recommended and taught in scripture but the Holy Spirit for Long-term Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals. It's a gift for every day. Every day. Every day. And so you receive it. Just put them all up. Just put them up. Here's how you receive it. By faith. Just like you got salvation. By faith. You didn't see Jesus or shake his hand. You came up to an altar. You knelt in a place of prayer. I can't see you. can't feel you. But I feel the heaviness of my need for you. Forgive me. Come into my heart. That's how you receive the baptism. It's a gift. It's a gift. 
you'll pay for it. You receive it through obedience. Obedience means that whatever you tell me to do, if I have to step out of my comfort zone, I want you more than I want anything. And if it means I've got to raise my hands and I'm not the customer doing that and praise you, I'll do it. If it means I've got to step out of my comfort zone and test the Spirit in prayer, I'll do it. And there's another way you get it. An intense desire for it. Intense desire. You remember when you fell in love with your, with your bride or, or groom-to-be? You don't. Remember? I set you up there. Ah. I'd say to Valerie, no ocean is too wide. No mountains too high. But if it rains tomorrow, I'll see you the day after that. <laughs> now, rain, snow, sleet, hail. Connection. Oh, God, I need to pay my bills. But I'd rather have the peace of God. Oh, God, I got this thing hanging on to me intensely. Ask for the gift. Receive it through praising God. Receive it. You'll do it here this morning before you go in a few moments. Or you'll do it in your car or your private place. Receive it through praising God. I don't have enough altar room. I'm going to ask you to be where you are. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you want the gift. And if you do, then you start this morning in this church seeking for it. You don't, when you, you just begin to praise Him. And the best way to do it is to say, thank you, Jesus, or hallelujah, or praise the Lord. When you're seeking the baptism, you don't give your prayer requests and your list. You just praise Him for what you already have. And sometimes you just focus on a few words. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord. And when, you, when you, you say that repeatedly because it creates an atmosphere to come for the Lord to come down. You say it repeatedly and you say it audibly so you can hear it because if you don't hear yourself, you can easily be distracted. I don't have enough room in the altar and I apologize for that. But you can receive it right there. In the name of Jesus, bow your heads. Pastor Matura. Heads about eyes are closed. If you're not saved, you can get saved this morning and get filled with the Spirit at the same setting. Same setting. You don't have to get saved, wait a year, and then seek the back. No, everything. And some of you need a refilling, like I occasionally and often need a refilling. Pastor Matura, I need to be saved, or I need to be filled with the Spirit, or I need to be refilled. I need this kind of power in my life. If that's you, raise your hands. Raise it up. Raise it up. Raise it up all over this church. I see many hands. Many hands. Oh, blessed Jesus. Put them down. Everyone together now, raise your hands with me all over the church and worship. Everyone, just lift up your hands and worship. Tilt your head towards heaven. Begin to praise Him right now out loud. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise Him out loud. Say hallelujah or praise the Lord or thank you, Jesus. Praise Him for every blessing. Hallelujah. Think in your head and praise Him. Praise you for the Bible. But you don't have to say it. Just say praise Him. I praise you for salvation. Come on, praise Him out loud. I praise you for healing my body. I praise you for the truth. Come on, praise Him out loud. Say it repeatedly. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And get a little louder with it. Get a little more bolder. Come on. Get bolder and louder. Hallelujah. 
whatever, praise Him repeatedly. And if, if your lip begin to stammer a little bit, your tongue begin to stammer, don't hold it back. If it begins to stammer and something else comes out, let it go. You will not be in a trance. You will be in control, but it will be the Holy Spirit. Come on. Praise Him louder. Come on, choir. Come on, church. Those of you that have the gift of tongues, praise Him in that language and it will not be confusion. Those of you that have it recently, begin to let it come. Come on. Those of you that want it, just begin to change from hallelujah to whatever He says. Come on, out loud. Don't look around. Don't worry about being in any kind of situation that is against God's will. The Holy Ghost is God's will. Come on, praise Him. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, louder and bolder. By faith, I praise you. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Tell Him, baptize me with the Holy Ghost. God, I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to complain about it. Come on. If some of you want to come out from the pew and come to the altar, come on in Jesus' name. We're going to tarry a few more moments. If some of you want to come down close to the front, come and lift up your hands and praise Him. Come on. I'm opening up the altar. I don't care if we got to cram it full. Come on, some of you altar workers. All of you altar workers. Altar workers. You come from all over this church and stand here and get ready to pray. with. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on, do it some more. Do it some more. I praise you, Jesus. I'm going to ask them to do a little praise and worship song while you praise. Go ahead. I'm going to ask them to sing to help you praise Him. I want about two or three more minutes of your time. Come on, in Jesus' name. Let it.